there's so much to like casting that it isn't one person going like, I've found them. This should be your person. It's a collaborative effort of a bunch of people talking for a really long time and discovering who the character is and then expressing that. Welcome to Let's Play by the Gamers, a podcast hosted by actress Kylie Vernoff. Fans know Kylie best as the fiery Susan Grimshaw in Red Dead Redemption 2 and Miranda Cowan in GTA 5. Our series features some of the most informed and exciting people in the gaming industry today. Kylie and her guests discuss careers, gaming, and so much more. If you like what you hear, be sure to check out thegamers.com website to hear exclusive bonus material from each of our guests. Hey, everybody. Okay, today's interview is with Jackie Shriver-Sladek, a longtime games casting and dialogue professional. In her current position as head of studio at Side LA, along with the decade she spent at Sony, Jackie has developed and cast some of the most celebrated performances in gaming history, including God of War, Marvel's Spider-Man, and everybody's current obsession, Cyberpunk 2077. Jackie and I talk about her early interest in recording engineering, the realities of auditioning in a pandemic, and just how much collaboration is involved in bringing these incredible characters to life. I cannot wait to share this interview with you, so here we go. Hello, hello. Hi there. Hello, there you are. I made it. You made it. <laughs> At long last. Um, how are you? I'm great. I'm wonderful. It is a beautiful fall day in Los Angeles, and I had a good workout this morning, and everything's good. How are you? We're good. Everybody's healthy, and I think that's enough to be grateful for right now. Couldn't agree more. Could not agree more. Um, I have to tell you, I'm so excited to talk to you. Literally, as soon as we were putting together season two, um, I knew I wanted to talk to you. And then and when Noshir talked about you as someone who took a chance on him early in his career, I started really trying to like work on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were we were at a picnic with uh, Sharon and Noshir, socially distanced hanging out and and they had mentioned how what a great time they had with you and uh reached out to say you know if there's a possibility you might be interested and i was like what an honor just because of the great work that you guys are doing gamers like in looking at the website and looking through you know all the podcast episodes and all the great blog entries and posts and everything just so utterly impressed with the community that you've built and the, the topics that you're touching on. So it's such an honor to be part of it. Oh, I'm so thrilled to hear that. Yeah, you know, they brought me on to do this podcast. And so they were already sort of formulating their mission. And it has been incredible to have a like a, like a close up seat to um, to how many women are responding to that mission. You know, absolutely. There's there's a lot of room to explore. So it's really exciting when someone does start exploring it. And by the way, um, this is like one of those weird small world things, but um, Dean Pinero, um, the wonderful um, voiceover agent out there. Do you know Dean? I know Dean very well. So I know Dean very well. And the reason I know Dean very well is because my husband is a two-time Olympic diver and they were divers together. 
Oh my God. <laughs> so <laughs> um, I was texting with him and I told him that you and I were going to be talking and he was like, oh my God, she's awesome. <laughs> oh, I love it. Dean's one of my all-time favorites and always has just been a a person that I could go to with, hey, I need to get this done. Let's talk like grownups about this thing. And he always was able to do that for me and continues to do that all the time. So I'm a massive fan of his and how cool that everybody connects in these weird ways that aren't always about entertainment, but always come back to entertainment. We often do. Yeah. And I love that Dean has been one of those people for you because I just adore him. So true. Completely. It's so true. And by the way, if you haven't seen pictures of him as a diver, I'm going to send you some because it's spectacular. I can imagine like spectacular. I'm putting, I'm putting it together in my imagination. And I'm like, this checks out. This seems like this could have been a thing. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right, let's talk all things Jackie now, though. So um, first things first, like how did you end up in the industry? So my story, I'll try to keep it short because it's not super interesting. But so I grew up in North Canton, Ohio, um, a few forays into other places, but mostly grew up in Ohio. And I was um, trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life when you're supposed to start making those decisions around 15, 16 and right around then, I had I had pivoted from astronaut to uh, recording engineer, and my oh, parents—that is quite a pivot. <laughs> <laughs> that, Teenager, you know, hormones will do that too. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Wild, uh, wild shifts. Wild shifts. So <laughs> my parents, because they are amazing human beings who are just hearts of gold, were like, okay. We will, we will, we will be there for you to follow this stream of recording engineering. But you're going to need to get a bachelor's degree. Like, find a school where you can get a bachelor's degree, but still study that. You can study whatever you want. It just has to be a bachelor's degree. So I, I went to the University of Cincinnati College Conservatory of Music, which is mostly known for musical theater, drama, mm-hmm. and ballet, and things like this. And that they also had this little program called electronic media, which gave me a very broad, but very shallow knowledge of all things entertainment. So we had classes on uh, entertainment sales. We had classes on law. I had uh, live TV classes where we would do like live segments. We had video editorial, audio editorial, web design, like all kinds of stuff, but just a little bit of it. So I basically had to force my way onto the audio professor. There There were only two at the time and just started like dug my claws into them. It was like, teach me, teach me. And I have uh, to say, I'm going to interrupt you for a second because I know you said it's not that interesting, but I actually am fascinated with how <laughs> you got the bug for audio engineering. I think it came from a love of music. So I am a, a music lover, lifelong music lover, but I am, and this will, this will come in handy later or like in, in my shorthanded story. I love music. I adore music. I suck at music. I'm no good at it. I can't Mm -hmm. sing. I can't like, I can learn how to play things. Like I can read music so I could learn to play the piano and the clarinet and to a degree, the guitar, but I just never picked it up and had that kind of aptitude for it that pushed me to continue. Like it was always a struggle, but I, it never really deterred my love of music in general. And so my brain went, well, if I can't be musician and what other options are there to be associated with music and so recording engineering popped up as a thing and 
when you're that old and you're 15 or 16, you don't even know what jobs are out there. Like you have no concept of what people do for a living other than like doctor, lawyer or whatever your parents did. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's so true. It's just this sort of like vague thing floating around that sounds like you want to be there. Yeah. And you, yeah. And you, you, you pick these big things or, or ideas, even if you're like, maybe I want to be in business, you know, so you study business, whatever the hell that means. I forgot to ask if swearing is okay. Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. We are grownups. You can swear. Okay. Great. <laughs> so uh, I figured out that recording, like there have to be recording engineers and I knew about that. So my parents actually, again, being insanely awesome human beings called the very few recording studios in our area in, in Ohio and asked if I could just pawn me off on them for a day just to sit in and see what happens. So I did that for a couple of like super tiny, like demo recording studios that did local bands and stuff like that in Ohio. And I, I thought it was interesting. So I decided that that was the closest thing I was going to get to music. So that's why I, I found the school that had some sort of audio engineering program, even if it wasn't just a teeny tiny little bit. And then I just, like I said, stuck my, stuck my claws into those two professors and was like, I'll learn the rest of this, but I want to learn this stuff. Teach me. That's fabulous. I love that your parents gave you like the ladder to get there, to, to try it out. They always, they never looked at me and said, that's not something you should do, or that doesn't seem like a good idea. They would always ask me important questions like, how do you see yourself making a living doing that? Or, you know, just practical things to go like, okay, what does that mean for you? Do you know, do you know what it means to be a recording engineer? Do you know what kind of hours they keep? Do you know where you need to live and all that stuff? So we, we always had great conversations about that, but they were never, ever people who said, maybe you should reconsider. So I definitely benefited from that. Absolutely. Okay. So you get through this program and you focus in on these professors and they basically give you what they know. And they gave me what they know. And I uh, am pretty competitive and fierce when I get my mind to it. And I did everything I could to just impress the shit out of them. And ultimately it paid off. (laughs) (laughs) And I received, our program had a bunch of scholarships uh, for students. Some of them were money. Some of them were were specific to uh, internships. Some of them were like, to the Aspen Music Festival to record for the summer. So I won one of these scholarships and the scholarship I hadn't even applied for. I had applied for the one to go to Aspen to record music. So yeah, that does sound really good. <laughs> and I applied for that and I won it. And they, they brought me in to tell me that I, you've won this one. But then they said, however, after the deadline for all the applications came in, we received another grant and you get to pick which of these two things you want to do. Oh my God, like, when does that happen? I know. And and this is really the crux. Like this moment is everything because the other internship was to go to a place called Sound Deluxe Design Music Group in Los Angeles to intern at a recording studio that did voiceover for games, commercials, and location-based entertainment for uh, six weeks. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Los Angeles, Aspen, like which one's better for me for which thing? And ultimately I chose Los Angeles and... So that's where I went. I went to intern at this place, Sound Deluxe, now defunct, but was the premier place for video game voiceover in the early aughts. 
And uh, that summer of 2003, I interned there for six weeks to under um, Becky Allen, who is now the audio director at 343 uh, Studios in Seattle. Mm -hmm. And under Amanda Wyatt, who may has come up, uh, Amanda was my boss. She hired me uh, and she was the business development manager there. So I interned for six weeks and... I went back to finish my last quarter of college because I was going to graduate in December. And uh, uh, two days before I graduated, they called me, Amanda called me and said, if you can make it out here by January 3rd, I've got a job for you. <sighs> and so I did. I packed up the day after Christmas, drove across the country, started working January 3rd. And it's the only thing I've ever done professionally is video game voiceover. <laughs> that is incredible. <laughs> so uh, were you a gamer ever? I I was, but not not the the obsessive hardcore. It's the only hobby I have. Variety, but I my brother who's six years older than me, my brother and I played NES. So I had you know tons of experience with uh, TNC skate and surf game and um, plenty of Mario of all varieties. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got the SNES, and I played Tekken there, and also at the. Um, at the arcade, I would go to the arcade when we would go to the movies. Oh, we used to go to the arcade at the movie theater too. That was like the only place that I really played video games. I forgot about those. And you, yeah, and you don't even think about it as playing video games anymore because when you think of playing video games, you think about being stationary in your house. Totally. But but I played a ton of video games at, at the movie theater when I was a teenager. I love this so much, <laughs> Jackie. I love <laughs> that you came to this, that it wasn't that you wanted to be in gaming and you ended up on this end of it. You are doing exactly what it is that you were hoping to do and that you were um, that you were planning for. And it's uh, yes and no. So I I came and, and was at a recording studio and my brain still, when I started at Soundalux was like, I want to do music. And this recording studio ex- was exclusively voiceover and sound design. They had a music department, but it wasn't, I wasn't anything a part of it. So that internship that I did that first summer was I was a note taker in video game voiceover recording sessions. So that, that first summer I was, I took notes for resident evil four was recording. And what and, does that mean exactly taking notes? So back in the, <clears throat> pardon me, in the, in the dark ages, um, Oh my God, I just turned old. I just, this moment turned old because I said that. <laughs> welcome to this side. I welcome you. <laughs> How, wow. Uh, I could feel it. Like, anyway, in 2003, we were still using pieces of paper that had the script on them and, and marking down which take uh, the director liked. So the performer would be asked to record the line once, twice, or three times, usually three times. And so on my little piece of paper, I would make three little hash marks. And if the director said, I like the second take better, I'd circle the second hash mark and we would move on. And those notes would then go to the editor who would take the, the audio, recorded audio and match up with my notes to figure out which specific pieces of audio to edit. And that's what you were doing for the whole internship, just like pick, like writing down the selects. Yep. That was, I mean, there were a few days that I did other things uh, like, you know, getting signatures for talent paperwork, or I think somebody had me working on a, a sound library, um, putting metadata in on car door slams for sound design, for sound effects and stuff like that. So I did a little bit of everything, but, but the thing I, the thing I enjoyed the most was taking notes. 
and it really was, it only, it took those six weeks, but I went from like, this is weird. I don't know what I'm doing to look at these amazing actors and directors and engineers working in this crazy harmony to mm. get, to act in a vacuum and to have information passed between those three parties in this beautiful concert that happens. And I really fell head over heels for it. And I went from, I didn't even know there was voiceover in video games, basically at the start of my internship to, I was actually supposed to leave after five weeks. And I called my parents and I said, can you please send me enough money to stay in a hotel for an extra week so that I can go back and do one more week with them? Because I really want them to know how badly I want this. And they did because again, my parents are awesome. And that kind of was what, what turned it there. So like during that six weeks, I went from maybe I want to be a recording engineer for music. Maybe I would consider sound design to dialoguing games is fascinating. How do I be a part of that? Yeah, you know, you came to my attention as a casting director. That is that is when I was first thinking about you and what I wanted to ask you about. And it sounds like well, I want to ask you when you were when you were interning and you were hearing the the choices. Did you find that you already had an opinion about that? Like did your ear already jump to what you thought would work best? It really didn't. I had the benefit another like serendipitous moment of my life is the the voice director on that project, that first project that I was on on Resident Evil 4 was um, Chris Zimmerman Salter. Uh, and so it wasn't necessarily that I knew, but over time I could predict what Chris would like. And over time I then realized why Chris liked what she did and then realized that that's what, those were the performances that were the most genuine or honest or had the most, uh, works the best for that particular scene. So it, at first I was, I didn't even understand what was different between the three takes. You know, I was, I just, my, my ear didn't, it didn't exist. I had no concept. And then, you know, obviously it took more than six weeks. Those six weeks were my crash course, but over the course of, of many years interacting with Chris and with all the other amazing voice directors in town that I was able to capture what it is that translates in the game space. Mm-hmm. and figure out not only that, but figure out how the, all the different beautiful ways that directors can work together with actors to find those things. But it, it I mean, that part, that second part has taken, it's not done. It takes forever. <laughs> you know, I was interviewing for this podcast, Brenda Romero, who's this legendary game designer, and she's been in game design since the early 80s. Um, but she was saying that with all of the advancements in video games throughout her career since the early 80s, um, that the biggest one she has seen is is the addition of professional actors. Um, yeah. And that has grown so much since the 2003 when I sort of like became a part of things. Um, because even back then, you know, we were limited because that was like, that was first gen or second generation. So like PS2 days. Uh, late PS1, early PS2 days. I say PS1 is my benchmark because I later worked for Sony, but obviously there are plenty of other consoles at that point. That we were still bound to a certain amount of disk space to dedicate to voiceover. So it wasn't even just the size of the worlds. It was like you only had a certain number of kilobytes or, or megabytes to 
dedicate to all of audio and then a subset of that to dedicate to voiceover if you had it on your game at that point because we're still on at that point uh cds rather than dvds and later blu-rays oh fascinating you, you had to figure out how to fit what you needed and therefore that meant there was a lot less variation because if one you know effort sound or or line of dialogue will get the idea of cross and you are taking away like fidelity of graphics potentially from having more audio than than you kind of have allocated for yourselves as part of the game design process then that's crazy and then we got to ps3 and you had blu-rays you had infinite amounts of space and we suddenly sort of overnight became variety was king how many different versions of this can we get you know everything can actually start to sound more realistic now because we were not limited and we can stream it off the disc rather than needing like these full wave files on there so it really changed everything to have the higher fidelity like of everything actually i think allowed for allowed space for proper acting to exist because you weren't just going to have them say this bare minimum number of words that needed to convey something very specific for the game to function. Instead, you could actually tell a story because you didn't have to limit yourself in that way. That is so cool. I would not have thought of that. I know when when I was doing um, Red Dead, I, I, I was shooting that for about four and a half years. And, and, and sometimes the, um, uh, the tech would advance while we were shooting. So we'd have to go back and do something over just because tech had advanced to the point that, that I can't even really say why we had to do it again, but just because they could do it better. That's <laughs> my like layman's term. And I think it's, it's incredible to be a part of an industry that's, that's advancing this quickly. So you can do more and more and more um, as the tech catches up. And it's so not surprising to hear because working working at Sony, I worked I worked at Sony from 2006 to 2016, mm. and worked very closely with the motion capture and and facial capture teams uh, in the in the service groups there, and you know they're constantly evolving to do it better, do it quicker, do it for less disk space, do it for less money, all of that stuff. It's it's a it's constant because everybody wants to have that that best highest fidelity that best looking best sounding and it just drives this incredible amount of innovation constantly but yeah if you're if you're if your production cycle is too long you're gonna have to circle back and chase your tail a little bit to to get everything up to where it needs to be by the end of it yeah and i think what's also cool of being in this burgeoning tech is like if if they don't if something's not working, they have to build it. It's not like they can go buy it. Like they have to figure it out. So like in very real time, the tech is advancing as you're making the game. Oh yeah, absolutely. And that, that problem solving, how do we figure this out thing, you know, really is one of the most exciting things about games. Not that that doesn't happen in film and TV. I'm certain it does, especially in like technology sectors, but in video games, it's just sort of a common daily occurrence of I've hit a blocker. Mm-hmm. What are we going to do about it? Who can I collaborate with to figure out how to get past this or to, to make it better, to change it? And then doing that, succeeding, and then moving on to the, the next challenge is, is one of the coolest things about the entire gaming industry to me. I love that. Yeah. So in researching you uh, for this conversation and then in just talking to you already, you know, it's 
you know, it's very clear that casting is actually just a, one part of what it is that you uh, bring to the project. So how would you describe the totality of, of what of what you do? My I've I have had such a journey to have all of these great experiences in my professional life that have all sort of dumped into a big bucket that became me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that started with like, I was note taking out of, of supplier. So, so sound was my, my first job. And that was, they were, they were a, a, an outsourcer that game companies could come to and say, help me produce my dialogue for the game. And, and that's what they would do. So I worked on it with tons of different projects and clients. And then I went on to, um, uh, Salami Studios, which is a, an animation voiceover, production facility. That's a great name. It's awesome. And they, <laughs> they did such cool projects. I was there for less than a year, but we worked on Boondocks. We worked on um, Bratz, which was, you know, a lot of, of kids animation, like Bubsy Wubsy. And oh, God, yeah. God only knows if anybody knows any of those anymore. But yeah, my daughter um, used to watch Bubsy Wubsy. I forgot about that one. It was Wow Wow Wubsy. Wow 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 Wubsy. <laughs> yes. Wow Wow Wubsy. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but we, so we did, you know, the, the ensemble recordings for those shows. So I learned a lot in that aspect, you know, again, being around actors, being around production, understanding what it takes to get things from point A to point B. So I was, I was a production person there. So I was making sure tapes went from place to place and people had their information and that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And then I went to Sony as a dialogue coordinator. So I was, I was somewhere between scheduling talent and participating in the casting process, you know, with a proper casting director and then getting the dialogue back and implementing it into the game, play testing it, making sure it sounded good, like editing it, mastering it, making sure the levels are good and then sending it off to localization. So I got all this crazy, amazing experience at Sony through a variety of projects, but also just a variety of positions mm-hmm. and then got to the point and I'm being like brutally honest, this isn't something that a lot of people necessarily talk about in these terms. And I certainly don't want it to make anyone think less of me or anyone else in this position, but I got really burnt out on crunch Mm -hmm. and decided that in order for me to continue working in this industry, I needed to be at an earlier part of the process so that I could crunch less. And so I took, looked at the totality of my experience and went casting happens early. Casting doesn't usually crunch how can I get involved in that to be able to stay in the industry that I love, but survive and have an adult life? You know? No, I, I, I think not only would, would anyone not think less of you, I think that's really smart. I mean, it, 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 it took an, a dramatic emotional toll on me that, that, that maintains to this day. Like I am still fiercely protective of the people who work for me their time and how it's being spent. And that was from not, there was never any malicious intent um, at any of the projects that I worked on that crunched, but I crunched partially because of my personality, Mm -hmm. uh, my sort of inability to, you know, be the first one to leave. Um, And that's a me problem, but also because I did want everything to be as good as it could possibly be. And so did everyone around me. So it was never, my crunching experience wasn't anyone standing over me with with a, a ruler saying, you know, you're a bad employee if you don't do it, but it's still, it was pervasive and it happened. Yeah. So for anyone listening to this who's not in the industry, can you just uh, describe what crunch is in layman's terms? So for, in my experience, uh, crunch was basically a period of time that could be anywhere from a couple of weeks to 
there was one project that where we crunched for six months straight where you work more hours uh, and that sometimes is mandated, rarely mandated, but is usually just an understanding within the team that you're going to be working 12 hour days and you're, everyone's going to be working Saturdays and there's just enough, there's that much work that needs to be done. So we're all going to come in and do the work and you just keep plugging away at it. Um, and because everyone is working that much, then the conveyor belt of things that need to be done. So in, in our case, uh, a lot of times, you know, towards the end of a project, you get a lot of bugs in a bug tracking system, which is someone saying, I noticed this in the game and it doesn't seem right, or you need to check it out. And you might have, you know, 600 bugs that are uh, assigned to you. Mm. Thank God. And you're sort of, and you're like, well, I, it's not like my eight hours isn't going to get me too much through this, but maybe if I put in 12, we'll see how, how many of these I can dig through, you know, meanwhile, more are being piled on top. And you're, you know, you're prioritizing and you're working with your producers and, you know, I was young and I was very invested in making sure that my career was going to have a good trajectory. I wanted to work well on great projects and be known for that. And that's what caused me to crunch again. Nobody ever stood over me and was like, you can't go home now. Mm -hmm. I kind of, I did it to myself, but everyone around me was doing it to themselves too. So there was the culture of, of sleeping under your desk or, you know, coming in and, and staying over the weekend and, and you know, a little they, bit of a badge of honor, right? That you're as dedicated as, yeah, you know, as everyone, yeah. Oh, I think is good that I mean, I I actually think that it's uh, you know that the idea that you were protecting yourself by deciding that you needed to <laughs> work on stuff earlier in the process, I think you know probably protected your mental health and your longevity in the in the business. It absolutely did. And it it also allowed me to get excited again and like revamp my creativity in a new way. So I've, I've been at that point, um, I got into casting by nature of convincing Sony that we needed to centralize talent casting rather than having each of the, the dialogue teams, dialogue coordinators working with outsourcers. Yeah, I read this quote from you when you were talking about audio and dialogue in games. I think you said the dialogue pipeline is less like a linear path and more of a complex subway system with a series of stops, starts, and junctions. Yep, it's so can true. You walk me through that a little bit. So, the dialogue pipeline, like in a video game, it should start at the very beginning. <laughs> Thanks, Jackie. Um, at <laughs> Where when you're first started starting to talk about what your story is, who your characters are, how are they going to move through the world, you know, who's interacting with who, all that type of stuff, you have to start talking to dialogue professionals at that point. Those are often like dialogue designers who are more um, on the level design, game design side of things. And you have to figure out, you know, is your player character going to be talkative? Are they interacting with, you know, non-player characters out in the world, like on a constant basis, like on something like Red Dead 2, where, where Arthur's just saying hi and howdy to everybody who walks by, you Mm -hmm. know, there's lots of that, or are they going to be, you know, more silent and quiet and maybe just like small breath emotes here and there to indicate that, you know, this person is living, but there are, they're dependent. There are things that grow from that information from the very beginning. So it might mean 
if you have a, a character who has been described as a, you know, a talkative or gregarious person, but they don't have an opportunity with a lot of NPCs because the game isn't designed to have those NPCs out there, then you have to work with the game designer to figure out how do we imbue this person with being a talkative person? Like, do they talk to themselves? Okay, why? Now you're dealing with dialogue and writers and level design going, okay, this person needs to have some way, you know, of, of conveying this part of their personality. So let's figure out how to do that. Maybe we write some lines, write some lines, then we have to get those lines recorded. So we have to find somebody either internally, or maybe we take the step and go ahead and find somebody to cast. Maybe it'll be the final person. Maybe it's just a placeholder. And then you get that stuff back to the game. You put it in the game and then you learn things about the dialogue and everybody has an opinion. And then all of those different pipelines restart and change. So level design might go like, I can see a great way to use this mechanic or this per aspect of this character's personality. So I'm going to work with a writer to get more lines. And maybe that means that our dialogue budget is going to change significantly because now we need this extra dialogue that we weren't planning for at the beginning of the project because we figured out that it it works to convey something to the player that it needs to. So there's you're just constantly learning new things about the game. That I mean, that is game development is you start somewhere because you have to start somewhere and then you learn it and figure it out throughout the entire process. Yeah, it sounds like it's very much a live process. So you at Sony convinced them that they should centralize this casting process. Yes. So convince them to centralize and then convince them that I should be the person doing it. Um, well done. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, obviously I it wasn't, you know, just me. There was, there was a, you know, committee of people within the Sony services group determining that this might be the best course of action. And I just happened to have a lot of experience across a lot of different projects and, and things like that. So I, you know, we, we, we built this position as a group to benefit not only dialogue, because obviously through the years, it, it's not just dialogue anymore. It's, it's dialogue and motion capture and performance and narrative. Mm -hmm. Like it's all, it's more than just find the right voice. So, you know, I became a part of a couple of different departments. So part of the visual arts group that were, doing, you know, scanning head scans for, for likeness and we're doing in charge of motion capture and also part of the audio department, which is concerned more with, you know, dialogue or, or voice only characters and that sort of thing. So we all uh, kind of developed what this role was going to be. And then, uh, and then I was off to the races on a brand new part of my career that was tangentially related, but, you know, I'd been very much dialogue and implementation focused and then took the leap to, finding the the actors to to have participate in our games that's i love that you ha you have like you're already invested in the development of the audio by the time you hit the casting session which i think you know isn't always the case with film and tv you know that yeah. sometimes casting directors aren't even given the entire script um when there's ndas involved so i think that um yeah you're already invested and you have so much like inside baseball about what it is you're looking for yeah which which is it's fascinating and it's really challenging because there's a lot of information to about a game to that can be thrust upon you to ingest which i'm sure you found in, in on your side on the on the performing side of like 
in a game like Red Dead, how on earth do you distill everything that happened up until a, a certain point? You know what I mean? Like, there's so much information. Well, especially if you're shooting out of order. <laughs> if you're shooting out of order, sometimes I wouldn't even know. I would have to go and say, um, is this uh, before that thing that we shot two weeks ago or after? I couldn't do any of my, like, um, usual preparation. Which is such a challenge. <laughs> yeah. But also really fun. Really, like, you have to rely on your scene partner to sort of figure out what yeah. you guys are doing. Absolutely. So, in in you you know, were you at Sony thirteen years? Do I have that right? I was there for ten. So I was with for Sony 10. from okay. two thousand six to two thousand sixteen, and I, I left Sony to to come to my current position. Yeah. So at Sony and at your your position as the head of Side LA, um, I mean, you are responsible for developing some of the most celebrated performances in gaming, like the God of War series and Days Gone and Spider Man. I mean. Mm-hmm. That must be so incredibly rewarding to see these, these not just the games, but the performances uh, just garner so much acclaim. It's, and what's funny is, what's funny to me is that the, the title of, of talent casting manager at Sony or casting director in, in some cases is, it's almost a lie in terms of their the idea that there's one person who holds some sort of grand responsibility for that because of how crazy collaborative video games are. And so the, the what I take away from from my contribution to a lot of those great titles is all the conversations I had with with the developers and the level designers and the narrative teams to figure out what they were looking for and then finding people to present to them of like, here are options, you know, where are we going? How are you seeing this? Like, let's figure out a way to talk to one another. And sometimes that takes like seeing performances to go like, I like what this person is, is adding. Uh, but, you know, unfortunately, because of the, the era of performance and, and motion capture, there are times when the perfect actor isn't perfect because of the constraints of height or gait or facial capture scanning digital double requirements and stuff like that so right so there's there's so much to like casting that it isn't one person going like i've found them it this this should be your person like here you go i've delivered them on a platter it's a it's a collaborative effort of a, a bunch of people talking for a really long time and discovering who the character is and then expressing that with a bunch of different actors in the casting process to find out what comes the closest to the vision that that the people I'm working for at that point the game director what they're looking for. I you know, I don't know if you get to uh audition actors in person when we're not in in a pandemic, but I I feel like there's this thing that happens sometimes. I mean, I've been acting for my whole adult life, and there's this thing that happens sometimes with the casting director that I like to call the magic, and it's when I'm in an audition, and there's this, like, moment when I sort of feel like I've broken through. Like, I all of a sudden, maybe ears and eyes have perked up in the room a little bit. I can tell there's a little electricity between the casting director and me, and it doesn't always translate to getting the job, but it usually means I'll get maybe more specific direction. Uh, I might get another pass at it. And I'm wondering if if you, in casting, do you feel that thing on your end, like this moment when you can just tell that an actor has something um, right? Absolutely. It's... Those those are the most fun for 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 me too. Um, so I I 
in my time at Sony specifically, I did tons of in-person auditions and casting, both for sort of live action for for mocap and pcap jobs, and then you know loads of uh, voiceover um, casting sessions. And mm-hmm. it's that feeling of, of like it feels like momentum. It feels yes, like that's right. Yes, yes. It feels like we both like like I'm on a train and it feels like the actor like hopped on the train. We're both on the train together, but now let's figure out where we're where we're going. You know what I mean? We're we we've we've overcome the part where we need to figure out who this person is, and now we get to discover more about them. Is is how that feeling feels. That that is exactly like you're. I'm getting chills. That is exactly right because it's hard to find words for it. But that's right. We've we've gotten past that thing where like you know, like you were describing, maybe physically I'm not right, or maybe, you know, uh, who knows, maybe you already had someone in mind, so I, you know, I'm not getting your full attention. But then there's that that moment when it feels like, ooh, ooh, let's work together on this. Let's work together on this, because I like, you know, I and I miss it so much right now. Yeah. <sighs> it's, and then everything over Zoom is just a little bit different. Um it's still there. It can still be there to go like, Oh wow, here we go. But I think, um, for me personally, maybe I have, I have no idea how you guys feel about this on, on the acting side, but auditioning over zoom, I have such a hard time seeing zoom or Skype or whatever, such mm-hmm. a hard time seeing myself because I'm distracted by myself. And I have to wonder if, if, if talent are going through the same thing of, of, being of course, self-conscious and like looking at yourself and seeing what you're doing instead of, of physically, you know, getting that of, out of your head. Yes, of course we are because, you know, well, first of all, we're in charge now of like the lighting and the, <laughs> the camera yeah. angle and all that stuff that normally we wouldn't be in charge of. Um, and then, you know, to in order to go out there and, and really connect with a character, you have to throw away what you look like. But um, and maybe some people like no share or other people who are tech wizards uh, know how to make it work. But I don't know how to be able to look at the casting director face to face without having my image somewhere there too. Yep. Um, yep. And maybe that's a zoom setting and someone's going to listen to this and just send me a <laughs> message and be like, uh, here's all you have to do. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's definitely, it, it adds another layer of um, responsibility for my own image that, um, yeah, that I'm that I'm that I'm learning. I think it's a learning curve for for everyone on my side, but I'm sure it is for your side too. Yeah, well, from from the studio side, um, it's been you know a six month crash course in just change your entire business model, get good at something else. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And it's <laughs> it's it's. I'm an eternal optimist, so I feel like artists, especially in times of uncertainty, global uncertainty, and and everything that we're facing, I feel like artists, we're usually the ones who sort of, um, we, we rise up in strife and times, right? Like during the Depression, people went to the movies. That was like the one relief they had. And so um, I do think that it is incumbent upon us to to make it work, to keep telling stories, to keep bringing things, you know, to to enlighten or teach or distract or entertain. But it really is, um, it's a learning curve for me. And now I sound old. 
No way. <laughs> it's been for us on the studio side, like we have become uh, partners with the talent in a brand new way to be able to go like, we want to set you up for success for your session that's happening over the internet with you in your closet with, you know, the microphone that you maybe just bought a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So it's been, I mean, obviously it's a challenge and it's, and it can be very frustrating for, for talent who are like, I didn't sign up to be a recording engineer, but here I am. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, we find it as our job to be shepherds and to be cheerleaders and to be, you know, as much as we can to, to build up talent so that they can do what they do best, which is perform without all of the rest of it there. But, but for everyone, it has been this insane pivot of, you know, you have to get over the frustration. You have to get over the blocker. You have to get over the resistance to it and go, this is what I do now. This is what I'm doing now. And I'm going to find a way to be great at it and moving forward. Yep. Yep. And I love that. I love, I love that you, you see yourself as a shepherd. I think that's, um, I think that's really special. I see why people like to shout you out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. So one of the main questions that I get from fans is um, how do I get into voice acting performance capture? So uh, from my end, I normally recommend an acting class. Um, Mm-hmm. But since I have you here, uh, I, I I feel like I need to go right to the source. What do you tell aspiring performers about getting started? Act, learn learn how to act. The rest of it will come later. Um, some of the most prolific voice actors that are working in games. I'm not going to obviously shout out who they are because of what I'm about to say, which is do not necessarily have remarkable voices. Mm-hmm. They just have remarkable acting talent. And therefore, you know, it comes through and they get hired over and over again because of their talent, not because of a specific way that they can maneuver their voice. Now, your ability to maneuver your voice either in uh, pitch and tone to be able to sound like somebody else or in accents or in, um, you know, any of those sort of more more tangible technical ways of doing it, those become your toolkit for for you to be prepared for anything that comes your way but without that foundation of acting and and understanding how to build a character um the rest of it is kind of meaningless and it's just it's shallow to be able to do a voice but not be able to do what a character needs that voice to do Mm -hmm. right you're you're trying to build it from the outside in Mm -hmm. yep and the i think from where I'm sitting, obviously, I, in the positions that I've had, I've had the good fortune to have access to and work with a lot of talent agents to find talent. So I'm not sort of mining for individual people uh, for the most part. I'm I'm working with trusted agents, like we said, like Dean Pinero and, and all of the other great talent agencies out there to find talent. So that basically means getting to representation is kind of a, a, a barrier to entry. Mm-hmm. And so getting to that place of representation will often require lots of classes and a variety of things, technique as well as, you know, talent as far as acting goes, but also technique as far as understanding how to work with a microphone, uh, distance and placement, how to manage your projection and that type of thing. And then getting yourself to a demo. 
and uh you know those are they're they're kind of the steps and they're they're kind of prescribed where you do the classes you do the work when the classes tell you you're good enough you do the demo when your demo is good enough you get re represented and when you are represented you get more opportunities yeah yeah I, i've had people ask me now that everything is remote if if you know if they're in different parts of the country if they can send out demo reels and i really don't have the answer to that but i think that because of that the the representation piece um it's that's the piece that would maybe stop people that aren't, you know, in Chicago and New York and LA um, from being able to get their demo tapes into someone like your hands. And there, I think, I actually think that the pandemic has created a lot of opportunity there because now that we are so good at figuring out how to get good quality audio and to connect with people remotely, I don't think it's as much of a, a, an issue for me if someone is great and they're in Iowa, as long as the connection's good, it's really no different than working with Noshir from his home studio. It's It makes no difference to me now that we know we can do it. It kind of took the pandemic for us to all push past the like, oh, but it'd be easier and it would sound better if we did it at our studio. So we'll, we'll keep local to LA. So I definitely think that's opened up possibilities across the board. But I think I think the difference between my experience as a person in casting and the experience of a lot of other casting directors might be that the position of casting, often the role is to find new people and to take on those demo reels and to you know work with people and find them where they are. Whereas in my experience, it's been a little bit less of that. Um, so I, th I think there are people who could probably speak a little bit better to getting to that point. Mm -hmm. And I... Uh, to to that point of that representation piece, because for the most part, my experience since I've started doing it is reaching out to the talent agents who are the ones calling um, the submissions. But but I don't think I, I honestly believe that the pandemic has created more opportunities for people who aren't in the major markets. So long as your demo is good, and so long as your internet connection is great, there really isn't any reason that you shouldn't be able to book um, voice jobs for for video game stuff. I think that is going to make a lot of people listening to this very happy to hear. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, lemons out of lemonade out of lemons. Yeah. <laughs> Bright side. Exactly. Um, so when, when someone does get in front of you, um, what, what would you say are the biggest mistakes that actors make when they're auditioning specifically for video games? Here's mistakes. Yeah. Like common pitfalls maybe. Yeah. I think, God, it's so funny to, it's so funny to try and generalize like this because the truth is every video game client who comes to me looking for talent is looking for something in a different way. So they might describe a character one way and I will discern from that what they, what they mean, which isn't necessarily always what's on the page and go like, okay, now I understand what you're looking for. And then try to distill that in a way so that the talent who are coming in understand what I'm looking for and then having them put that on tape. Um, so honestly, the reason I give all that pre-life to my answer is like sometimes the biggest pitfall is being too on the nose. So like I said, I wanted a, a sexy badass and you gave me like a generic sexy badass. Mm -hmm. But there are some times when giving the generic sexy badass is going to get you the job, but there are other times when it's not 
kind of clever enough or doesn't give enough life to the character. I don't see anything specific that's going to excite me to move to move move it on. So it, it it honestly depends for me on the client what's working and what's not for actors, which is a very unsatisfying answer. I know. <laughs> No, but it's it's true and it makes sense. I mean, it's not one size fits all. I know th- there'll be those times, especially in commercial stuff where, you know, they'll just hammer home. We don't want an announcer. We don't want an announcer. And so, um, you know, you do what's what's authentic to you and what would be your read. And then you hear the spot and you're like, well, that is an announcer. <laughs> <laughs> you should have just said announcer. I should have done that. Um, yep. Yeah, because sometimes I think sometimes I think the casting directors really are trying to bring out performances and actors, and uh, at least in advertising, then there's like a then there's like a mountain to climb with getting um, you know these uh, these advertising agencies or or the clients to take a leap with something more interesting. Yep, and and now we are we're in the the world of self tapes. Um, mm-hmm. For the most part, I mean, we still do directed auditions over Zoom uh, for for roles and stuff like that. But we we do an awful lot of self tape casting where where the, the the talent becomes the casting director to a degree in terms of negotiating with yourself how you're going to play the the role without a lot of outside um, information. So, I mean, from from where we're sitting at side, we try very hard to supply as much of that information as we can. But you're still open to interpretation. You know, it's still how how are you reading the words that I put on the page that are hopefully there to describe what the client's looking for? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that that is the thing that you know that is missing. Um, at at least for me and other actors that I know, is that you know I think one of my superpowers is taking direction. And if I'm doing a self tape, I can listen back. Um, and I can I can understand if I'm doing what I intended to do, if if what I'm hoping is coming across is coming across. But I don't have that partnership in the in the room. And I th- it, it, it is a shame. It is a shame. And it is definitely every project benefits from having people have an opportunity to connect in real time about a character and talk through it or even just be able to use hand gestures or, you know, squinting of eyes to convey things that you can't necessarily do even over Zoom or or any of those things. So it's it's a miracle that we're doing the kind of great work that we are. And by we, I mean the entire video game industry that we've been able to continue to do things through the last six months. That's a testament to talent being tenacious and and willing to to go the extra mile and to the entire industry for figuring out how the tech technological challenges were going to get overcome. Um, but it's, it is a sad aspect of it to lose is that intense collaboration, like in-person personal collaboration that happens with director, casting director, talent, you know, game director, producers, all the people in the room to, to actually fully formulate a character or a scene. Yeah, I really hope we'll get back there. And I think we will. I know we will. It's just a matter of time. But I, but again, silver lining, Jackie, is that we will never go back to not being able to do it this way now that we've co- got, come this far. Like, we will never be caught off guard. It's so true. It's so true. We've, we, we are, yeah, we have, we have made it work. 
<laughs> it's like yep. we have made it work and and you're right it's um it's it's incredible um so what what would you say Jackie is your favorite part of your job my favorite part of the job is of my current job my my favorite part of my current job is seeing my production managers who are the ones who are actually doing the work um, of making, getting a client's request like through to recording and then back to them of actually seeing that work come together and seeing a, a happy actor in the booth because all of the, you know, scripts and materials are there for them to have what they need to flourish in the scene to and to have a director there in the room going like this is great and everybody my favorite part is everyone recognizing something great as it's happening and that is a unique thing that we get to have in the in the studio recording studio or even on on the mocap stage i'm sure you've you've had those moments as well where you're like right now in this minute we did something awesome and i can't wait for people to see it yes yes you feel it just having access to that is is the favorite part having access to that on a daily basis is really an incredible feeling um so yes and we haven't even mentioned the fact that for the last three years you've been head head of side la yes um and how did you end up there so i uh side as a company was a an audio brand in london um Side UK is is really what they were called. And they have been around since the late 90s, like 25 years at this point. And I was working on a project called The Order 1886 um, while I was with Sony and I needed a bunch of British voices. So I connected with them and thought, wow, these guys know what they're doing. They're they're very talented and and I just really like the team there. So at uh, E3 in 2016, I met with the... um, at the time, the president of Side UK, Andy Emery, and he told me that he was uh, looking to start an LA branch. And what did I think about that? And I was like, "That sounds like a great idea. Like, I would totally work with with a side, you know, team in Los Angeles. That's that's great." And he was he asked me if I knew anybody who who I could think of that would be a good fit to to head that up. And I was like, "You know, let me think about that. Like, I gotta. I'm sure. You know, let me think through all the people I've worked with." And and we concluded our meeting, and we walked away, and I went son of a bitch. I want that job. <laughs> and I immediately like called my mom and was like, I don't know exactly what just happened, but I think I've got to, I've got to try and go for this. So I, I wrote back to Andy later and was like, so by the way, <laughs> I would like to do that. So I, you know, I came on to side LA when the construction was just about to begin. So they already had a facility and they had an architect and they had all of that stuff. But I had the the pleasure and fortune of being able to flesh out the majority of our team. One of our our amazing recording engineers, James Batley, came over from Side UK for consistency's sake. So he's he's an amazing engineer and just presence. And uh, James and I built up a team of engineers and production folks and uh, started a studio. <laughs> And it was a lot of work. <laughs> oh, I bet, I bet. But uh, but very successful work. Yes, we have definitely. We went from uh, you know 
one or two sessions a week uh, very quickly to being, you know, we're consistently booked. We have a lot of of really big projects. We can finally start talking about um, our involvement with Cyberpunk 2077, which was yeah. really amazing. And uh, a lot of, you know, we get to work on so many incredible projects, so many incredible developers and publishers that, that trust us with their with their IP and and their their work. So we're, you know, I'm just bombarded daily with amazing behind the scenes game content. <laughs> I get to hear about all kinds of great stuff before it happens. That is so cool. Um, okay, so as we've been talking about, um, the, the collaboration in our community is uh, we really couldn't do anything without it. So I would love to give you an opportunity to tell me about a time in your life or in your career when someone uh, recognized something in you and gave you an opportunity to shine. I have to go back to uh, Amanda Wyatt, who gave me my very first opportunity at, at Sound Deluxe way back in the day. Um, she was at the time business development manager, but was basically in charge of the voiceover department. And Amanda, I mean, luckily I've known Amanda for some 15 years now, and she just immediately saw something in me that was, that I could do some part of this. I might not know everything. I might not know anything, but that I could probably learn it or figure it out. And so she she did me the incredible honor of just throwing me more and more things to do and trying to challenge me to figure out how to do them. And sometimes I wouldn't do them right. And Amanda had the amazing ability as a mentor and as a, a manager at that point to course correct without um, making me feel like I had screwed up or that there was a big problem, but that, you know, something needed to be done differently. There was another way to do it. And I learned so much from her, not only about, you know, obviously correcting whatever things were needing to be corrected, but about how to be a manager and how to lead people and how to give them the ownership and the recognition of their work to really take control of a project and, and really make it theirs and 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 complete it without without needing hand holding or without needing constant validation. And and Amanda really she saw something in me, but she also taught me so much about being a manager, about being a leader. And so I, I, I credit her wholeheartedly alongside, um, I, I, I have to, to close number, close number two, second place. There was Chris Zimmerman who also did the same thing and said, I see something in you. You seem like you get some of this. So I'm going to give you a little insider information here and there about directing, about talent, um, about that type of thing. So those two women really um, get, you know, gave me a leg up, uh, to be able to communicate with everyone in the game's sphere and, mm -hmm. uh, and just how to, how to be a manager and a leader, which was really important stuff that you don't always get great training on when you're that age. No, that's really beautiful. And it sounds like, um, yeah, like you, the way you see yourself as a shepherd now came to you through these women who shepherded you in a very real way. Yep, and still do. They're still, you know, lucky for me, I get to work with both of them frequently because they're both uh, incredibly talented and sought after voice directors in the game sphere. So 
it wasn't a, a, a you know a long ago goodbye that I waved to them to I, I actually get to see and hug them or used to get to see and hug them uh, pretty frequently. So I get to keep honing those skills and and keep learning from them. I love this. That is so cool. Yeah, <laughs> they are so cool. I think one of my favorite things about um, about hosting this podcast is is just learning how incorrect the misconception is that this is a male dominated industry. I mean, I don't mean to say it's not male dominated. There's there's a big male presence in this industry, but there are a lot of women um, who who make it all work and who have been for you know since the beginning. Absolutely, and I, I a shout out to all of the amazing uh, women in production at on the game dev side. There are there are so many amazingly talented producers, and producers don't often get the recognition because they're not creating art or they're not you know directing voice sessions and that type of thing. But they are some of the the hardest working folks that keep everything on the rails to mm-hmm. to actually become a to achieve. And, uh, and I'm always in awe of, of producers and, and there are a lot of amazing women producers out there. Yeah. Yep. I know. I'm in awe of them too. (laughs) Um, thank you so much for making time for this today. I'm, I'm, I'm just so inspired by this conversation. (laughs) I am so thrilled to have an opportunity to, to talk about my experience as as a woman in in games and in, in the voiceover sphere, and again, like I said at the at the when we were talking a little bit earlier, the there being a space for women to talk about being women in games is relatively new, uh, and that is amazing. And I'm utterly delighted to be a part of it, and of course, want to push it forward and and see how much more conversation we can get going because I would love to see there being even more women in audio. Women yeah. in audio would be amazing. Yes. So, um, so all all of the anyone else who wants to be a recording engineer, just because I didn't quite wind up going down that path, but I know I could have, and 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 I know there are a lot of women and girls out there who would find it interesting, and I think they should go for it. I love that you've said that. That uh, that is yeah, yeah. Just go for it. Yep. Um. All right. Well. Thank you so much, Jackie, for for making the time. This has just been delightful and informative and everything um, that I could have hoped for. I've learned so much. It's been my absolute pleasure anytime. And thank you for being such a gracious hostess. Aw, thank you. So have a great day. Thank you. You too. Bye, Kylie. Okay, bye. Such a fun conversation. All right, I have some news. If any of you listeners are interested in becoming dialogue professionals in the games industry, Jackie has generously offered to set up some time-boxed mentorships as she's able. So send her a DM on Twitter, including any demos and resumes you have, and she will listen to as many as she possibly can. That's so awesome. You can find Jackie's Twitter and other social media and website information in our show notes. And for bonus material with Jackie and our other Let's Play guests, visit thegamers.com. That's T-H-E-G-A-M-E-H-E-R-S dot com. Thanks, and see you next time for our season two finale. I can't believe we're already there. Thanks for listening. Let's Play was brought to you by The Gamers, a community that connects all types of women gamers and welcomes every human who supports this. 
Let's Play was produced by Kylie Vernoff and co-produced by the Gamers Team. Laura Deutsch, Rebecca Dixon, Verda Maloney, Heather Awita, and Alexis Wilcock, with sound design done by Frank Verderosa. Please visit thegamers.com for show notes to access exclusive bonus material and to learn more about the Gamers community. And we'd so appreciate if you subscribed and gave us a five-star review. Thanks again for listening.